Matthew chapter number 11. We'll look toward the end of the chapter, verses 28, 29, and 30. Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you went back earlier in this chapter, you would find the Lord dealing with some very real problems among those that He had ministered to. As a matter of fact, He said that had He done the works that He had done in those cities, in places like Sodom, He said they would have repented long ago. And He said because... He had done these wonderful works in their midst and they had not responded, that their judgment would be the greater. And so the conclusion is this, to whom much is given, much is required. There are those in the world today who have not heard the gospel that you have heard. They have not heard the truth that you have heard and they've not had the opportunity of living in, a, in a, uh, an atmosphere like you have the privilege of growing up in. And I believe that God will hold you more accountable as He has held me more accountable for the truth that I have known my entire life. I cannot remember a time in my life when I did not know the name of Jesus Christ. As far back as I can remember my parents, I can remember the name of Jesus Christ. As far back as I can remember my wife, I can remember the name of Jesus Christ, and I met her when I was nine years old. I have always been in the presence of those who knew God and loved God. And I believe because of what has been given to me down through the years, God holds me to a higher accountability than He would those who have not heard the truth. And so He pronounces woes on those to whom He had done great miracles, but they had not responded uh, to him. But when he comes down to the end of this chapter, he issues three of the most wonderful invitations that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. And the Lord is oftentimes this way. When he deals with a, an hard, a hard subject and he deals with people in sometimes uh, difficult terms, he seems to soften the blow with an invitation that it can be better. And I would have you note that it can be indeed. I want you to note, first of all, that I believe he issues an invitation to salvation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know of no place on earth that you're going to find peace and rest, except it be in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure money helps, I'm sure prestige helps, power, popularity, all of those things I suppose help to create in us a self-esteem and maybe at least an outward circumstance of success. But when we pillow our heads at night, when we close our eyes and there's no one but us and God, how is it in our hearts then? When my oldest boy, who's now... 31, Mom? 32? 32 years old. I'm 33. I was one when he was born. He's 33 years, uh, 32 years old. When, 
he was 18 years old, I knew that something was wrong in the heart. And I would talk with him often about it. And on one particular Friday night, I went to his bedroom and we sat there and talked for quite some time. And I said, son, are you sure you're saved by the grace of God? And he said, dad, I know I'm saved. I said, well, if you are, there's something is wrong. I mean, your heart is, is not bent toward God. There's a problem somewhere. And he assured me everything was okay. And so I had prayer with him, and we left it at that. That was on Friday night. It just so happened that I didn't have a meeting to be in on that particular Sunday, and so we were home and went to our home church. Our pastor preached that morning, Pastor J.D. Hershenhan in Wilmington, North Carolina. And as soon as the, the message was ended and the invitation started, I heard someone coming from my left, and it was in the direction where my son had was sitting with some of his friends. He came down to the front and I saw him embrace our pastor. And then he sent him back to me and he grabbed me and was crying profusely. He was a big boy even then. He's even a bigger man now. And uh, I said, son, what's wrong? And he said, dad, I, I, I have to get saved lest I go to hell. And I said, but you just told me Friday night that everything was all right. And he said, Dad, things have not been all right for a very long time. He says, as a matter of fact, I cannot remember the last night I slept. He said, I'll sleep a little while and wake up, sleep a little while and wake up. Because he said, I was afraid that if I dropped off to sleep, I would die and go to hell without God. You see, we can put on a good show. And in the outward appearance, we can, we can make it look like to everyone else Everything is okay. But in our hearts, we know whether there is peace or not, whether there is rest or not. And I'll tell you, there is not a possession on the face of this earth as precious as peace. As being able to pillow your head at night and sleep in peace, realizing that if you wake up tomorrow and live another day, it's good. And if you don't, it's still good as long as God has His way in our lives. Men labor, and that's what, he, that's what he speaks of to a great measure in this particular passage. They labor very hard to attain some kind of salvation or rest or peace. And you'll see people out doing all kinds of religious activities and carrying on uh, religious ceremonies in a hope that they might appease God. I was quite amazed just a few years ago when I was visiting India, and as we were making our, ways up, our way up into the Jawadi Hills, uh, we stopped from time to time, and the fellow that I was traveling with would point out these images alongside of the road. There would be little shelters and these, these images that you could pick up in your hands. They were, they were relatively small. These images were gods for various villages scattered throughout the Jawadi Hills. I noticed something interesting about all of those gods. They were all mad. They didn't like anyone. They had snarling faces. They had eyes, but they could not see. They had ears, but they could not hear. They had tongues, but they could not speak. They were lifeless, and men would come from time to time and repaint them and clean them up and place them back there again. And men would labor as you walk through the cities of, uh, of, the, uh, of uh, India, 
Bangalore, several millions of people. Uh, you want to be very careful trying to cross the street because no one's going to slow down for you. They'll just run right over you. But here comes a cow lumbering across the street and the traffic stops dead still until he makes his way safely to the other side. And the reason for that is, of course, that they believe that this cow is inhabited by their gods. And these people labor to carry out a form of religion, hoping that they will appease God and somehow uh, merit for themselves some measure of peace or rest. Quite obviously, with all of their labor, rest and peace does not come. In days gone by, ladies have thrown their newborn infants to crocodiles attempting to appease some god. Even the people of Israel at one time caused their children to walk through the fires of Molech, hoping that they could appease some god. But I suggest to you today that rest in Christ and peace in God is not attained by your ability to perform some great work, but rather it is obtained by the work that Jesus Christ has already done for you when He died for you on Calvary's cross and paid the ultimate price, God dying for us that we might live in Him. The Bible is filled with examples of men who tried in the energies of their own flesh to obtain some measure of salvation. The Ethiopian eunuch worshipped. He had denied the deities of his pagan religion and turned to the God of Judah, and yet still he did not find peace until he found Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 8. And the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. Saul of Tarsus was a a fervent laborer for God. And yet he did not find real peace in his heart until he found the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved by the marvelous grace of God. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Bible says, was a good man. Prayed always, gave alms to the poor, and feared God. Those are all admirable attributes for anyone. The only problem with Cornelius, with all of those attributes, he still didn't know God and therefore had no peace. And he continued to cry and pray for peace until Simon Peter came to his house and presented unto him the way of God. And he trusted the Lord and was saved by His marvelous grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I trust that every single one of you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I trust that when you pillow your heads at night, you pillow your head with peace, and you close your eyes realizing that you are secure and safe in the bonds of the Lord Jesus Christ. that You can call out to the Creator and say, Abba, Father, and mean it with all of your heart. However, if that is true, then it's time to move to the second invitation. Not only is there an invitation to salvation, but there is an invitation to surrender. I've met a multitude of believers around the world 
whom I believe have been saved by the grace of God, but have never come to the place in their lives that they have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you? Are you at this point in your life? Can you say in your own mind and in your own heart, I am surrendered to the God that I have trusted. I am willing to obey Him. I am willing to do His will. Notice what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. The word take here seems to indicate to me that the Lord offers His yoke of service, and it is up to us to receive it. Have you received from the Lord Jesus Christ the invitation to be faithful in service to Him? Have you accepted His yoke upon your shoulders? Have you found a willingness in your own mind and heart to say, not what I will, but what He wills for my life is most important? Notice what you get when you take His yoke upon you. You learn some things. He says, learn that I am meek and lowly, that is humble, and that I will give you rest. These are the things you learn about Christ no other way. I know there must be multitudes who stand on the outside of Christianity, and they must look at us and say, my soul, you folks live a, a horrible life, don't you? You can't do this, you can't do that. You have all of these rules and regulations that you have to memorize and go by, and if you get out of line, someone's standing around with a stick to thrash you. Oh, what a terrible life it must be. You have to give up everything the world has to offer just to go to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth of the matter is we not only get a hope of heaven and our names written in the Lamb's book of life, we get the peace of God and we get a life that is more fulfilling than the world could ever dream or realize apart from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. They look at Christ as a hard taskmaster, that he makes demands and, and issues edicts, and we must bow to them. But when you take on the yoke of surrender, you learn that Jesus Christ is meek and humble, and that he gives rest. Oh, to know God and the love of God. To come to the place in your life that you serve him not because you fear him, but because you love him. When I was a boy, coming up in a, <laughs> an era you wouldn't dream of, I suppose. But when I was coming up as a boy back in the late 1800s, um, my dad put the fear of God in me. He said, well, Stone, you feared your dad? Oh, oh I, I would rather pick up a poisonous snake by the tail than cross my dad. Oh, yeah. One day, well, Dad had a lot of rules. He just, you just found them by accident. He didn't tell you ahead of time. But he had one that he told us ahead of time, and that was every afternoon at 5 o'clock, he wanted all of us around the table to have dinner. I didn't realize how important that was to my dad until one afternoon I wasn't there. I was down to the lake. A bunch of fellas, and we were swimming and playing. And I said to someone, what time is it? And they said, I think they said quarter to six, six, something like that. I said, wow, I have to go home. They said, we're not ready to go. I said, I'll walk. It's only 
sir. And so out I came and made my way toward the house. When I walked up into the front yard, I saw Dad sitting, sitting in the rocking chair on the front porch. I opened the old screen door and stepped up on the porch. Daddy didn't say a word to me. Just stood up, pulled the belt from around his waist, took me by the wrist, and just beat the sap out of me. An amazing thing happened that afternoon. Getting home at 5 o'clock in the afternoon got just as important to me as it was to Dad. I felt like no matter where I went, he could see me. I could do something three miles away from home that he disapproved of. And when I would get to the house, he could meet me at the door and he'd already know it. It just amazed me. I think he had spies everywhere. You know, he, he was all-seeing and all-knowing. He would know it even though I thought I had it hidden from him. And so for most of my childhood, I came up obeying my dad because I feared him. But an amazing thing happened in, I guess, my late teens. It dawned on me that I loved my dad. And I loved him more than I loved life myself. And the day that it dawned on me that I loved him and I could take you to the spot, to the place, to the very moment that it happened. From that moment until the day he went home to be with the Lord, I no longer wanted to obey my dad. I wanted to honor him. And from that day... I obeyed and honored, not because I was afraid, but because I loved. I led my daddy to the Lord when he was 59 years old. And for the very first time, I heard my dad pray. I preached my father's funeral. I baptized him. It took my dad 17 months to die with a lung disease. Every day he could breathe a little less until he smothered to death over a period of 17 months. I couldn't tell you how many times that I told the Lord in sincere prayer, if you would let my dad breathe well for one year, I'd gladly die for him. I loved him and I still love his memory. An amazing transformation will take place in your life the day that you serve Christ no longer because you fear, but because you love. Solomon had finished building the temple and he told the people, he said, uh, we've had a great dedication and God has met with us in great power. But he said, if the day comes that Israel sins and God has to send pestilence and judgment, he said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. There's a phrase in there that has always gotten my attention. Seek my face. On my first trip to Romania, <clears throat> I preached in the city of Lugoj for Pastor David Nicola. <clears throat> I was thinking I was getting to church early, and actually I was getting there late. It started at 9. They prayed from 9 until 10. They sang from 10 until 11, and then preached from 11 to 12. I got there at 9.20, and of course the first service had already started. 
So I went to the pastor's study and stayed there for the minutes we had left. And then at 10 o'clock, we went into the service. And for the next hour, no one stood up to announce anything. For one hour, someone would get up and sing a special number. A, a quartet would get up and sing. Someone would get up and do a reading. Another would get up and quote scripture. The choir would sing. The congregation would stand and sing. For one full hour, this went on, and not one time did the pastor or choir director or anyone stand up and say, we're going to do thus and so, or someone's coming to do this or that. Not one time. Then I preached. After the service was over, I went with the pastor back to his study, and I said, Pastor, did you know what was going to happen in the service today? Well, he said, of course, I'm pastor. I knew everything that was going to happen. I said, how did they know to do what they did when they did it? He said, because they watch my eyes. And he said, I tell them with my eyes, it's your turn. And I can see the Heavenly Father wishing for a generation of believers that would seek His face, that would look into His eyes and say, Dear Lord, I'm willing to serve you today, not because I think you will chasten me if I don't, but I'm willing to serve you today because I love you. And if I can see in your eyes your wish and desire for my life, I'm surrendered to that. Notice what he says in verse 30, For my yoke is easy. Now let me ask you something. Is that the impression you get when you watch the average Christian? That the yoke is easy? I tell you what I see when I see the average Christian today. Uh, uh, where are you going, church? You got the victory, brother? Yeah, I got the victory. I don't get the impression when I see the average believer today that the yoke of Jesus Christ is easy. This word easy technically means well-fitted. The Lord Jesus said, if you will surrender to me, I will place a yoke on your shoulders that will be well-fitted because it will be my will. The Christian life is not being saved, and then pick out something that I enjoy doing. Wearing the yoke of Jesus Christ is not going down to Kmart and saying, give me a generic yoke, I want to wear one like everyone else. But surrender to Jesus Christ is bowing before Him and allowing Him the privilege of picking out the yoke that you wear. I, well, as I mentioned before, I met my wife when I was nine, she was eight. Ten years later, we were married. I was 19, she was 18. We celebrate our 35th anniversary this coming June. We've been off to Bible college with four children, six grandchildren. Pastored for nine years in Greenville, Tennessee. Spent two years in Grenada, West Indies. And spent the last 15 years on the road. We have averaged going home over the last 15 years about 30 days a year. Some of those years we've gone a lot less, some a lot more. But then over the last 15 years, we go to our home an average of about 30 days a year. We meet people everywhere who said, there's no way in the world I don't want to do that. I want a place to plant me a little garden, you know, and I want to be part of the ball team, and I want to be part of the neighborhood. There's no way I want to do that. Well, I have good, good news for you. You don't have to. It isn't your yoke. But I have to tell you the truth. I absolutely love it. 
I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ now for just over 32 years. And I love it more today than I did the day I started. It's the most wonderful thing in all the world to know that you're in the will of God and you're wearing the yoke that He has chosen for you. I suggest to you that as you have yielded your heart to Jesus Christ to be saved, that now you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ that He might direct you into the avenue of life that He would have you to go in. Then one last thought. Not only the invitation to salvation and surrender, but then to carrying that surrender another step to service. In the latter part of verse 30, he says, My burden is light. I find that amazing. Because there again, I don't see that in the average Christian that I meet today. The average Christian I meet today is just a little bit bent over. And he's got this sad, sorry look on his face. And it looks like he's trying to drag the whole world behind him. Pastor comes along and said, Hey brother, would you, would you make a visit for me? Oh, he says, you're putting more on me than I can bear. The burden's too heavy. I can't stand it. I've got to have some relief. But do you know our lives are not generally so burdened because Christ has put more on us than we can bear, but rather we have taken in more of the world than we can consume. Paul said to young Timothy, if you're going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you cannot get entangled with the affairs of this life. Sometimes we're very good about avoiding the sins that would destroy. But oftentimes not so good at avoiding those things that would entangle us and keep us from doing the will of God. If I had any advice for you today, having come this far down the road, and if I, if I look back behind me and squint real hard, I can see back to where you are. But if I had any advice for you, Right now, today, for the rest of your life, it would be this. Don't do anything in your life today that would keep you from doing anything God wants you to do in the future. Salvation. Surrender. Service. Leave time in your life for God not only to work in you, but to work through you to meet the needs of others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me live for others, Lord, that I might live like